Hello everyone, this is Deborah Richardson and today I am putting the AP in Happy where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. This podcast will give a voice to accounts payable team members by talking about the growing reality of cyber attacks in their world and which vendor setup and vendor management techniques they can apply to protect the vendor master file from fraud. If you are looking for vendor process training for you or your entire vendor team, head over to my site at DeborahRRichardson.com and click on the Vendor Team Training Solved button to learn more about what is included in the monthly or annual plan and also to download a 2021 training schedule. Get the training that you and your team needs to avoid payment fraud, duplicate vendors, compliance fines, and more. Do you know what the top three fraud risks are for accounts payable and vendor teams going into 2021? Well, join my guest, Jeffrey Simpson, and I as we talk about our top three fraud risks from episode 60 last year and how they were affected by the pandemic, and then hear this year's top three fraud risks and how you can combat them. Keep listening. Welcome to episode 117, the top three fraud risk accounts payable teams need to watch out for in 2021. Welcome, Jeffrey Simpson. And actually, Jeffrey is coming back for a second time. Last year, this time, he came uh, on the podcast to talk about the top fraud risk going into 2020. And now he's back to talk about the fraud risk going into 2021. So welcome, Jeffrey. Thank you. And it's great to be back. All right. So for those that did not um, did not uh, um, listen to your original episode, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I've been uh, in the entrepreneur space for a while, but I decided to go back to school to get my Ph.D. in computer science. And so my research focus has been on cybersecurity and business email compromise and things like uh, domain doppelganger attacks and fun things like that. And so I'm, I have an MBA, and so I do have some uh, managerial and accounting background. Uh, so I, I bring a nice combination of business and technical uh, when I talk to people and, and in my business dealings. Great. So this should be a good conversation um, today talking about um, – actually, we're going to review first, um, like the the – Uh, top three fraud risks that we talked about going into 2020 that we needed to watch out for and just see if the pandemic, because, you know, we, we, no one had, you know, a barometer on that thing coming up. Right. Um, Things went a little differently than what we expected. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it did. So we'll see if, you know, the predictions are our predictions, if the pandemic made it um, better or worse. And then Mm. We'll look at moving into 2021, um, you know, uh, uh, what those new fraud risks, if they are new, what they are for uh, for accounts payable vendor teams. All right. So let's first review again the last year's top three fraud risk AP teams needed to watch out for in 2020 and whether the pandemic made these better or worse. So the first one um, that we talked about was email scams, which includes um, phishing and uh, business email compromise or BEC. So mm-hmm. can you just give a short explanation of what that is? Sure. The easiest explanation is people send emails with some links that they try to get you to clink on, click on. And they may, you know, go to websites that look like your bank or look like uh, your email account or or your PayPal account. Um, But, yeah, they're just trying to trick you into doing something that you wouldn't do if you knew the consequences. 
Yeah. And so with that, I think we already know the answer of mm. did the pandemic make this worse <laughs> or better? But um, and I know um, that I've seen some studies that that um, talk about, you know, business email compromise um, and how the um, incident average um, per incident average went up. I think it was it started off at like fifty three thousand and now mm. it's like 80 K. And I know you've mm -hmm. seen some reports on that as well. Absolutely. And and one of the groups I'm um, had a couple of papers recently at their uh, e-crime symposium a couple of months ago, but the Anti-Phishing Working Group, which is an organization that measures, you know, the evolution and proliferation and propagation of uh, identity theft methods like business email compromise. They have certainly seen a drastic increase over the past year and, and not surprising based on what what has happened when we've come become a more uh, socially distant society we've become a more technology integrated society and so that meant over the past year that we have actually increased our use of electronic communication more than we are expecting to based on the situation and so along with that increase and i don't want to give away our, our 2021 numbers but <laughs> <laughs> along with that increase in, in electronic communication we certainly saw the large increase in phishing attacks and business email compromise attacks over 2020. So, yeah, and, and so that trend is not slowing down. Not slowing down. So the answer to the question of did the pandemic make it worse or better, I think mm -hmm. we could say it, uh, it made the email scams, phishing, BEC worse. Absolutely. So we get a star for that one. We get a star for that <laughs> one. Okay. So moving on, the second um, one that we had from uh, moving into 2020 or that we had to watch out for in 2020 was passwords and shared login. So you want to mm. give a short explanation of that? Sure. One-time use passwords are just not a good idea with people being able to, you know, Potentially steal or authenticate with just a password means that there are security holes and avenues that attackers could, uh, you know, get into your systems. And so anytime you had a single password, maybe somebody wrote it down, it was compromised or if it's single uh, compromised at all not a good idea. And so, you know, last year we talked about uh, password um, applications that helped you like LastPass and things like that, that would keep mm -hmm. your passwords under authentication. And that's certainly more and more important uh, over the past year and going forward is storing those securely. And of course, multi-factor authentication is becoming more prevalent and it needs to become more prevalent. We've done a great job based on, you know, our work over the past year. And a large part of that is due to the fact that we were forced into that situation of having to work more distant. And in a lot of ways, it could be a good thing because it, it did allow a lot of companies to give them a chance to put in some policies and procedures around security and, and passwords and shared logins uh, that they, they may not have had that opportunity or willingness to do before. And so now when you had your employees in disparate locations and they needed to log into the same same systems, now those shared passwords uh, are becoming more vulnerable and a system like, you know, uh, the, the sharing logins and things is, yeah, you see those security holes. And we've seen that with recent news reports too with, um, the the solar winds issue um, yeah. when they had you know a single login to their development machine and that may not have been the the hole that the hackers got into but even companies whose job is to create security monitoring software they have work to do <laughs> yeah so um and i wish that i you know was getting some type of affiliate revenue because i'm sure they saw their membership spike or subscription mm -hmm. spike but i um have LastPass, and mm -hmm. i quite frankly don't even know what my passwords are because you know it, all you have to do is is uh um uh sign up for LastPass. they'll remember it and and mm -hmm. they'll they'll autofill it for you or you could even copy and paste i mean it's 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 a great service and I also have someone um, on my team that works on um, some accounts that I have for marketing purposes and I don't have to give them the password I just share it with them and they don't even know what it is right so 
I do love that part. Also, um, you know, I know and and, you know, as much as we all talk about and have talked about it for years, there were still those people that kept their passwords, you know, under the keyboards. So I guess with everyone moving home, it helped in that regard. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, just someone can't randomly come up and, and get your password. But um, overall, um, did the pandemic, um, do you think, made the password and shared logins? Um, did it make it better or worse? Well, we certainly got more news coverage about these security lapses when we're dealing yeah. with the single passwords. And, and part of that is because the problem did because the, did become worse. Um, and we'll talk about it a little bit later on, but because people are in different situations, meaning maybe they're at home instead of the office, um, you know, different security measures may be needed um, and they weren't in place. And that's uh, that makes it vulnerable to, you know, stealing passwords when you're not in that right, you know, in those yeah. right pro- processes and procedures. So when you change things, things get lost or get, you know, slip through the cracks sometimes. So we did see incidences of password issue, yeah, increase this past year. Okay. So another one for um, the pandemic making it worse. Okay. Yeah. So the third one that we um, said we needed to, our AP teams needed needed to watch out for in 2020 was USB drives where they were, mm. um, right, arriving in the mail rooms or finding in the parking lot. So just a quick explanation on what, what you saw back then. Sure. Sometimes, you know, we call these, you know, data drops or just hacking drops to where uh, people would just randomly scatter USB drives around a company's parking lot who they are trying to infiltrate and people would pick up those USB drives almost with 100% you know chance that they would pick those up and then they would go and put these USB drives into their work computers and that means in cases like the Iran nuclear uh, facility where they are using the centrifuges this is how uh, the hackers were able to pass that air gap and that's the term whenever a network is separated from the internet so there's an air gap between that network and the internet that's how hackers were able to bridge that air gap as people plugging them into their work computers and and transferring malware and uh, trojan software onto these computers that were not connected to the internet so we're not going to end up three for three this this time from last year because the incidences of these usb drops uh, actually declined because Nobody was, right. you know, going to work, or we had a, a a drastic decrease in that. And so we've we've also seen companies increase their security around uh, flash drives in in the past year because of the uh, high success rate these hackers have had, and it has become one of the you know more talked about issues in in corporations um, because yeah because they were so so successful and it worked so well. Well, you know, I will find this as some good news because um, this one, the pandemic actually made it better because, right, you get mm-hmm. the empty parking lot, so nobody's picking up those uh, those uh, USB drives. And right. thank you. I have added a new word to my, you know, fraud, cybersecurity um, uh, vocabulary, air gap. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. So um, just to kind of recap, um, did did the pandemic make um, our predictions last year worse or better? Uh, Email scams, phishing BEC made it worse. Passwords and shared logins made it worse. Um, But the USB drives, um, the pandemic made that uh, better. There was a decrease. So Moving into 2021, which I am sure everyone is so ready to do both on a personal (laughs) and a professional um, level. I, I for one, I'm going to be the first one in line for that vaccine as soon as it is available. Mm. I'm I'm going on like um, day 10,743 of being in the house. At least it seems that way. So (laughs) I'm going to be the first in line. I'll be right behind you too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about um, the top three fraud risks mm. um, accounts payable uh, teams need to watch out for in 2021. And I think the first one um, is no surprise. It is back up there the email scams, um, phishing, and BEC. 
Mm, just yeah, absolutely. Just like we just talked about, uh, the numbers have not gone down and they're continuing continuing to increase. And in 2021, we have you know over the past few years we've seen some changes in the way they're doing some of their business email compromise attacks. One of the ways, and this is actually an area of research that I'm I am actively working on, is domain name spoofing. And some of the ways that hackers will try to trick you into clicking on the links is when you have a domain name and uh, there's a company local to Tulsa called Williams, and I'll use them as an example because they're a good example. Uh, spelling Williams is W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S.com. Right. And so what the hackers will do is they will look at the name, and this is one type of attack, and they will do a visual uh, visual is fraud. And so we call this a visual identification domain name fraud. So they will replace a W with a VV. So now when you look at it, maybe your font is a little small and maybe it's a little, you know, scrunched up in the in, in the email, or you're just not paying that close of attention. But when you look glance at that URL, even though it's a vviliams.com, it looks visually similar to Williams, and maybe you don't give it a second thought, maybe you click on that. And so that's one type of domain name spoofing. Uh, another type is uh, what we call a third level domain name doppelganger attack. And I know that's a long name for what, what I'm gonna say, uh, but for example, we'll go back to our Williams example, maybe their website is www.williams.com. We've seen incidences of attackers registering their domain name www-williams.com. So they are using this third level domain name, which is that little section before that first period. So sometimes it's www.something, maybe it's mail.something, but we've seen those domain names like that. But they are combining those third level domain names with their main domain name and then registering a domain name and using that in their business email compromise attacks. So those type of domain name spoofs we we think are on the rise. Um, one of the bad statistics that came out of 2020, something that we definitely have to look forward to in 2021, is the increase in the use of SSL certificates in malicious websites. So in the past, we've been able to train people whenever they visit a website, to look for the little padlock icon in the address bar. I know, well, that's, that's yeah. what I used to look for. Mm -hmm. And we have seen, based on the recent, recent statistics uh, from the Anti-Phishing Working Group, uh, over 80% of malicious sites or phishing sites have the SSL certificate. So we can no longer rely on that component on teaching people uh, how to determine whether a site is malicious or, or legitimate. And so that's a big thing because really going forward, that was that was one of the things we were able to teach people to look for and we cannot rely on that anymore. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's too bad. Um, so, you know, it, it really sounds like, you know, unless you're getting a uh, an email from uh, a trusted, well, I can't even say that, um, uh, <laughs> a trusted partner or uh, uh, internal, because they're they're finding ways to, to trick you if you're not looking fast enough. And I know folks in accounts payable, you know, they've got, especially this time of year, they got many emails, um, a quota, um, and they're moving at a fast rate. So trying to find these, um, and I know there are some tools out there that can help mm -hmm. you if you, you know, copy and paste the domain um, or the email address or domain in there, it can tell you, um, um, uh, you know, if it, how long it's been up and that's like an indicator of whether it's a fraudulent um, site or not. But, you know, you don't really have a, a lot of time. You can't do that with every single email because it's mm -hmm. just time consuming. I mean, I guess you can, but um, what do you see some companies doing to secure um, or just move communications out of email altogether so, you know, accounts payable folks don't have to deal with that? Sure. So one of the main things that that uh, is the downfall of email, even though it's been around for so long, is that there's no authentication or authorization uh, for email communications. And so it is easy to spoof emails, which means, you know, send an email from a different address than from the one you're sending, than the one you actually have. And so over time, we have looked at ways 
uh, one of the solutions is to use encrypted email. And so there are platforms and applications. One of the oldest is uh, PGP, which is pretty good encryption uh, that's been around for years that allows you to encrypt your email, provide a uh, secure signature, uh, so people can then go verify the contents of the email that you're sending. That's important because we have seen, and I, I really don't want to scare people here, but just letting them know, but that there has been some what we call man-in-the-middle attacks against email hosting servers. And what happens is the hackers are able to get into the email server itself. And so let's say you have an Outlook server uh, at your company. They can actually get into these email servers and intercept emails in between sendings. And so if you as an AP person are, are communicating with a vendor uh, and are communicating, uh, so maybe wire transfer account numbers and, and things like that, um, those may not be <laughs> secure. Uh, and they may, we have seen incidents, incidences of, of fraud being committed by these hackers that are on these email servers. Um, and so using these, you know, sec secure emails, encrypted emails, there's some services that provide that is an option, is a way to actually like verify the contents of the email is, has yeah. not been intercepted. Uh, one of the other trends that we're seeing, and I know they made the news yesterday is that they were filming this is the fifth, but uh, on the fourth, uh, Slack, which is an electronic communications. It's kind of like instant messaging for your company. Um, but I use it and I work with companies that use it, uh, but it's a different electronic communication platform. And so when you have something like Slack that that does require people to create an account and those accounts are verified by the administrator, uh, the electronic communication that are on those platforms like Slack and other and Microsoft Teams offer something like this, uh, they can be encrypted end to end and they can be, you know, you can trust that the person you're talking to, uh, when everything's set up right with multi-factor authentication logins and and all the above, you can, can you can um, feel secure that the communication you're receiving there is correct communication. And so we are seeing an increase in alternative electronic communications and emails. Uh, so there's still not a standardized way for companies to communicate with vendors securely. I mean, different companies uh, have different methods, but but that is a, a trend to watch in, in the upcoming year. So that sounds like, you know, um, with the encrypted emails mm -hmm. and, you know, providing or changing the means of communication via Slack or Microsoft Teams where you can invite, you know, external um, parties to to your, you know, Slack channel or, mm -hmm. or to your Microsoft Teams conversation. So that sounds like um, both of those are more on that at the company level. Maybe IT teams yeah. would handle that. Um, I know they have you know, um, uh, widespread is the external email indicator, but that still won't help if you're, mm -hmm. you know, expecting an external email anyway, and you get the, you know, the uh, uh, spoof name, the W, uh, uh, VV instead of mm -hmm. the W and Williams. So we still need to make sure that we train the team members, right, not um, how to not click on those links and emails. Mm -hmm. And then one of the things that I talk about is um, authentication um, to make sure that you're authenticating so you know who you're talking to. And I'll kind of put a, I'll put a link to a webinar um, that I did on that for more information. But another thing um, that I talk about um, a lot, too, is really moving um, the communication again out of email. Um, but this is something that's within the control of the accounts payable team mm -hmm. members um, mm -hmm. is if you have some type of a third party tool that, you know, accounts payable teams are already using maybe for um, delivering or, or receiving invoicing from your vendors, you know, as long as they have or that tool has a message 
messaging capability and or a document upload feature, you know, that can be used to get that communication um, out of email mm -hmm. to get that, you know, what could be a sensitive document like a W-9 that could have a social, social security number on it or um, banking information. And we know that's sensitive. Getting all that out of email, maybe using a third party tool. So, you know, between companies, um, the efforts that companies can take and then the um, process efforts that accounts payable takes can take, um, we can look at, you know, um, just moving more out of email. Yeah, and if you have those trusted lines of communications already established for something else, then by all means, you know, go ahead and use those because they are trusted communications. Absolutely. All right. So that was the first one. Uh, email scams, phishing, and BEC carried over. Still same problem for mm. for twenty uh, from twenty twenty going into twenty twenty one. Yeah, and one uh, thing that that I didn't mm -hmm. mention that I think is important to mention still is yeah. uh, is we did see and we talked about you know the visual identification of the domain names, uh, you know yeah. changing the names, and we've talked about the third level domain names. We're seeing kind of a combination, uh, but they're they're using some of the common webmail and uh, like team collaboration tools as a target for those type of attacks. And so now, if your company say uses SharePoint and your SharePoint.Williams.com, so now we're seeing companies you uh, register or hackers register SharePoint-Williams.com, which kind of combines that that alternative communication platform. So companies that are moving to more SaaS, which is software as a service, which is generally the applications that are hosted in a website. So they're combining all these things that you use to try and trick you. And so the hackers are keeping up to date on, so Zoom calls or SharePoint sites and webmail. So they're using all these sites that you're used to seeing on a day-by-day -day basis. Uh, they're using those in, the way they target target uh, these attacks. And so you just have to kind of keep on your toes and, and watch out for everything. Yeah, and I think I I had a couple of, because I, I always um, uh, uh, add to my website like the new scam alerts. Mm -hmm. And I know I've seen SharePoint. I know, mm -hmm. I know that I've seen, you know, Wetmail with Office 365. I know that I've seen a gazillion Zoom ones. Well, so, this yeah. is, yeah, and it made it into the news and mm -hmm. not going to make this political at all, but the company called Burisma that was involved in some of the um, dealings with Hunter Biden, um, yeah. The way that, and so they are famous for the hackers were able to get into uh, that company's network and steal information. The way the hackers got into Burisma was through a subsidiary, Cub Energy. Cub Energy had a SharePoint site, which was uh, cubenergy-my.sharepoint.com, and Microsoft sets up these sites whenever you have them host the SharePoint call, SharePoint site. Uh -huh. The hackers registered cubenergy-my-sharepoint.com. So that is the way the hackers were able to get into Burisma, which was a fairly famous hacking case that, that made it into the news, was being able to target uh, a business email compromise, a phishing uh, email with that website. So that's how they were able to get into Burisma. Was so does that mean does main, that mean that they were successful in getting uh, an employee to click on the link and actually yes. put their login credentials in? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So the 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 website looked valid because it had SharePoint and it had Cub Energy in there and yep they they thought it was a good site and it wasn't. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. 2021. Yeah. You're on. <laughs> All right. So number two. So the second fraud risk, um, and uh, and this one wasn't on uh, last year, and it's kind of a direct result of the um, uh, moving to of of COVID and moving, you know, all of that work to home, and that's you know internal or occupational fraud, and. 
the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners, that organization um, or association published a December 2020 report um, called Fraud in the Wake of COVID-19. And they reported a 13% um, significant increase and a 35% slight increase in employee embezzlement um, observed as of November 2020. And then an article um, in law.com entitled Employee Embezzlement in the Times of COVID-19 reported that between April and September 2020, the U.S. employment uh, unemployment ranged from 7.9% to 14.7%, which that means it really triggered a financial stress right on the large, um, a large portion of the population. And that financial stress or pressure is one of the fraud triangles three elements you know along with opportunity and rationalization and what i see as part of the or what i've seen as part of the issue is that um one um uh, it created, you know, additional segregation of duties issues um, because maybe everyone wasn't able to work um, from home, especially not right away because, um, you know, people abruptly left the office and went mm -hmm. home, you know. The, um, in addition to that, the compensating controls, you know, the old anomalies um, that could be relied on, um, like the time of day that that a, uh, something was entered or a record was updated, really couldn't be mm -hmm. counted on anymore because you've got people that are, you know, um, uh, and still are, you know, uh, uh, homeschooling kids or or you know just trying to balance um, uh, the the uh, kids' schoolwork, the home, uh, the uh, work that you're doing for your job, you know, along with, you know, your spouse or significant other is doing the same thing all mm -hmm. in the same household. So those compensating controls either, you know, weren't being done or um, you had to adjust them based on the new, you know, the new workday. Um, and also I saw or heard about quite a few um, check signers, um, uh, the USB and the check printers, along with that Micker Inc, uh, were going into mm -hmm. employees' homes. So that was mm -hmm. uh, that was just a big one. Um, you know, people had to find a way, and we in AP, we find a way to get things done. That's so right. if yeah. whether whether you're you know bringing that check printer home so you can print checks or you know designating an accounts payable team member as essential to go in and do a check run once a week or some even postpone to to once a month to try to you know move folks to their vendors to ACH that you know in the mm -hmm. past did not want to move to ACH. But yeah, that that was uh, the the remote. Um, the abrupt move to, to work from home really caused um, uh, uh, some financial um, stress and created the opportunity um, for internal and occupational fraud. Well, we really lost some of the physical security that we took for granted inside of a workplace, even inside of an AP area. Uh, so if you have a check printer that somebody you know is in an office area in an AP area and you have several employees that are there throughout the day and you can generally rely on somebody being there while the yeah. doors are unlocked, uh, you take that physical security of that check printer or the signatures for granted. So when you end up in a situation, maybe you do have an AP employee that's deemed essential and they go visit the office once a week to, to print the checks. What about the physical security of that check printer for the rest of the week while that AP person is not in the office. Is that secured properly inside the office when you don't have those people sitting around that check printer all day long? And the reverse is true as well. If you do have the case where they did take the ink home or the USB drive that contains the signatures, uh, the signature images for these check printers, now you're dealing with having these uh, highly sensitive information or highly sensitive ink uh, and data inside of an employee's home. What type of physical, physical security needs to go into protecting those devices at home? Will 
will my kid pick up the flash drive when he need, when he wants to do something, you know, transfer a file, share a file with his brother? What, you know, is that a case? Absolutely, it's a case to where I could be distracted. You know, I know I've put off some work, you know, working from home by washing dishes or putting a load of laundry up or something. You know, my physical security here at home is different from my physical security at the office. And it, it's, you know, it has some uh, weaknesses uh, that we just need to address with, you know, proper procedures um, and how to deal with things. Yeah. And as you know, worldwide, we're going into a second, third phase of, mm. you know, the, the COVID infections, uh, infection, infection rate. And so it's not going anywhere. We're all going to be home for a while now. Mm -hmm. um, and so these types of things um, uh, will continue to uh, to be there. And as a result of that, um, the internal and occupational fraud um, will continue to um, uh, increase or or mm -hmm. at least be more significant than it was in past years. And mm -hmm. so to combat, you know, um, I, we really need to do the same things that we were doing in the office, although um, uh, adjusting those for the, the new normal, um, as a lot of folks are calling mm -hmm. it. Right. Um, reviewing those management reports. Now, a lot of times that that was being done, checking against the physical documents, because mm -hmm. that's what people had in the office. Now you just need to make sure that um, those uh, documents are being um, attached to like the vendor record um, or um, to in the accounting system or ERP. So, yes, you can still review the management reports, but mm -hmm. instead of viewing the, you know, uh, uh, the physical documents, now you need to um, record or attach and then review the electronic versions um, of right. that. Yeah. And um, same thing, you know, implementing, I talk about a vendor process audit. Um, a lot of audits are done at the higher level and don't necessarily get into the vendor ads and changes. And that's something that I've always talked about needs to be implemented. Um, but now I think it's even more um, important to make sure you track those uh, changes uh, on your vendor uh, vendor record. Um, in addition to checking those um, that are uh, uh, that were uh, those vendors that were added, um, and then as always, checking that payroll address, bank info um, for your employees against vendor records, um, and then just to continue the co compensating controls again, um, uh, uh, adjusting those based on you know the remote. Um, the remote work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are all great. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was the second fraud mm -hmm. risk, um, internal occupational fraud. And then the third one, um, so I, I, I've seen, I didn't hear about this word until a couple years ago. It's vishing with mm -hmm. a V. And I got asked um, on one of the social media platforms um, last week what the heck vishing was. And um, so uh, vishing is um phishing via phone. <laughs> mm, yeah. And so, you know, the phone has been one of the famous hacking tools uh, for many, many years from the very beginning. Some of the first hackers that were called hackers uh, were actually hacking the phone systems. And in one case, uh, the famous hacking story is that they were able to use a whistle out of a serial uh, the Captain Crunch cereal, so the little toys they put in cereal boxes. This whistle happened to be at the uh, frequency of 2600 megahertz, which happened to be the frequency that you played into the phone to bypass some long distance charges back when we still had like pay phones and things like that. And so these hackers figured out they could use this whistle to bypass paying for long distance phone calls on, on the phone network. And so phones have been the center of hacking for a long, long time and it still continues. And phishing via phone is uh, unfortunately on the rise because of the situation, because we no longer, or we may not be in the office to use the office phones where you have the, the good caller ID and you can verify phone numbers. Now we're all on our cell phones and now we're trying to do business over these numbers that maybe we haven't used before. Maybe the company says, well, we're not going to try and, and forward everybody's 
office phone to your house phone and most people don't i don't have a house phone anymore but so now everybody's using cell phones and phone numbers that we're not familiar with and so when you get a call that says hey this is joe in it you know i need to know your password because we need to log into the system to reboot it or for whatever reason now we're seeing opportunity because these we have a lot more people working remote and 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 phone numbers that are not familiar to us anymore so there's a huge opportunity with the remote working and so we, an old form of hacking is coming back and one of another one more famous hackers uh kevin mitnick did some uh, human engineering which is sometimes what this is referred to uh when you're calling somebody and you know trying to get information from them uh, which is just another form we can call that vishing we can call it human engineering uh, you know, but it but it's really you know trying to get information out of somebody uh, without them knowing the consequences again. So okay, um, I may be 20, 25, I don't know, 30 years too late. <laughs> but wait a minute, the whistle from the Captain Crunch <laughs> series. Yes, box, absolutely. And so that all that money on long distance. Absolutely, yeah. And so they uh, they obviously fixed that over the years, but uh, and that uh, 2600 megahertz is actually a fairly famous uh, word in the hacking community. And so there's a magazine called 2600 that mm -hmm. is named that because of that frequency of that Captain Crunch whistle. And so the you know the the fun part in a hacking was originally just you know finding ways to do things and right. not not with malicious intentions and so we're, some of the community is not happy that hacking has a negative con connectivity to it but yeah. Uh, yeah there's a long history of, of hacking and, and using phones to get people to give you information because you don't necessarily have this is where we go back to the authentication component of it when you're talking on the phone you don't have don't necessarily have that authentication that that other person is who they say they are or that they have the authority that they say they have and we we didn't really put it on the list to talk about but there but there are spoofing of voice calls and so there is the technology out there that somebody can use software to alter your voice to sound like somebody else yes. and also on top of that the technology is coming into age to where they can do that with video as well and so is that I'm, what um, is that deep fakes yes the deep fakes and that's that's exactly what i'm talking about and so even though i see you on the video i'm not necessarily convinced it's you so, <laughs> i'm just kidding there, I, <laughs> yeah but wasn't there one last week um or the week uh of christmas or the week of new year's with um uh, queen elizabeth and yes. she was doing um some cartwheels or something mm -hmm. yes absolutely and so we're seeing you know it's the same technology that uh television like the mandalorian uses when they with a spoiler alert so if you haven't seen yeah the mandalorian just you know mute it for a couple seconds but when they brought luke skywalker back in that last episode it yeah. was not the actor it was the deep fake type of technology that these movie studios and visual effects use to map somebody's face onto another actor and so that technology is available to consumers today uh, and it does take some skill and talent right now but there will be tools created that make it even easier. There's probably going to be an Instagram filter that makes you look like whoever you want to be or sound like whoever you want to be, uh, because it will be that easy within the next few years. You know, and going back to, you know, your point with, um, you know, the human engineering and it's old, but it's new again, you know, voice is the oldest form of communication. Um, you can evoke that emotion um, and, you know, that social engineering is just so prevalent um, when you're talking about um, the phone. So what I, um, you mentioned authentication and that's mm -hmm. something that I um, prescribe to, you know, when you're on the phone, when you call your bank, your bank is going to authenticate you before they start talking to you about whatever it is mm -hmm. your inquiry was. Well, and, and so you authenticated them from your side by calling yes. a known number. So you know yes. that number that you're calling is their number. 
too. Yes. And to that point, um, you mentioned earlier, too, and we definitely saw this in accounts payable um, between the accounts payable teams and the vendors is that, you know, moving remote and moving um, to outside of your workspace um, and, and trying to work, you don't have, you know, you can call the number, their office number that's on the vendor record um, and they're not going to pick up, you know, um, for a lot of uh, a lot of um, uh, accounts payable processes for um, uh, especially banking changes is to is to make that confirmation phone call. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what happens when you know you try to make that conf uh, confirmation phone call and you don't get through because the vendors have done the same thing we did. They're all at home mm -hmm. now using their cell phones. Right. Well, and that's where that trusted line of communication, if you have that and you have what we call the shared secret. So if there's a token you can generate, you know, sometimes are the one time use codes that you get over text messages. But if you have a shared way of communicating, whether that's through a, a vendor portal or uh, through uh, you know, a Slack channel and you have a shared token, you can say, oh, let me read off the token. Let me validate it. Or let me read the first few letters and you read the second set of letters. So there's that authentication method that's important to use. Uh, some companies use things like that. So, yeah. yeah. And, and I'm all for that. Um, finding a way to eliminate um, those phone calls where, where possible. Um, mm -hmm. Get uh, the phone calls and the emails. Just get rid of those um, and find another way to um, to authenticate or uh, either through the login process for like a vendor portal or you know an invoicing tool again if it has that messaging uh, and or upload capability um, just eliminate that phone call altogether especially if you know someone in accounts payable receives a phone call um, from from someone you can't necessarily validate who that's from because they can spoof mm -hmm. the phone number too so yep. You know, it, it's 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 um, it's imperative um, that you um, authenticate um, or just find a way to eliminate um, eliminate that phone call. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So those are our three uh, top fraud risks to watch out for um, for accounts payable teams in 2021. Of course, it was the email scams with phishing and BEC or business email compromise. It was the um, internal or occupational fraud. And then lastly, um, the vishing, which is the phishing via phone. So um, Jeffrey, uh, um, what are some, you know, just some overall ways? I know we talked within each one of them about, mm -hmm. you know, how they can combat um, those fraud risks. But overall, what are just some, over, um, some uh, overall ways to avoid fraud? Sure. I know the IT departments everywhere are doing what they can to try and filter out a lot of the business email compromise attempts and phishing attempts. They're doing everything they can. But as part of that, they do have a responsibility to provide some training to every employee on, on what's the proper way to use the software that they've been given, the email, what's, what are the proper procedures. If there's a link in an email, when is it okay for me to click? Some companies may have a policy that you're not allowed to click any links in an email uh, but that should be part of an onboard process for new employees and it's also keeping existing employees up to date on any procedures and policies that have changed and and we could probably all use a, a refresh on our our rules since the, the phishing and, and bec kind of changes and adapts uh, all the time uh, I know uh, lots of companies do continual testing and continual training with employees. They'll send out the emails uh, with some links in there at, as training uh, for the employees. And, and one of them recently made the news. I forget what company was, but they created a phishing email to send their employees telling them that they had gotten a Christmas bonus. Yes. GoDaddy. It was GoDaddy. It was GoDaddy. Yeah. And then it actually was a, a, a test for their employees about clicking on phishing links. And oh, so oh, they had a test. All right. <laughs> they, they certainly did a test. So then maybe there's better ways to do the testing and training of employees that probably wasn't the best one to do. But training really goes back to teaching employees and working with the employees. It's not a you versus us thing. We're not against the IT department. We're all trying to work together to make sure that there's no fraud. We don't want to lose money as a company because that hurts the bottom line. That hurts everybody. Uh, we don't want that. So we're all working together to the same goal. And yeah, we're just doing what we can each department.
Um, and so, you know, the training, and we've seen this, we talked about it a little bit more, maybe physical, physical security has changed um, based on the working conditions. And so uh, as part of uh, you know, fraud prevention uh, is physical security as well. We talked about, you know, the flash drives maybe with the signatures, but it goes back into now we have laptops and maybe maybe before you kept your laptop at your desk and you did not take it home. You didn't travel with it. Well, now you have your laptop at home. What happens? You know, some companies may not want you to have your laptop on your home network without being connected through a VPN because they can't control the other devices on the network. And so it, it's another way of uh, another opportunity to train employees on physical, physical security. And of course, that leads back to internet security, just general training as well. How do you use the internet? Uh, some companies have set some good examples, or at least one of the ways some companies handle, you know, personal browsing at work is that, you know what, we have two different networks. We have the work network, which is your on your work computer, and then we have set up a personal network for your personal devices, for your for your phone, for your personal laptop. If you want to bring it, you're free to browse the web as much as you want on your personal devices as long as you do your work. But we're going to separate the networks because that reduces the attack surface and so that makes the corporate network safer. So there's lots of options, but lots of opportunities for training and, and it, yeah. yeah. From the yeah, ground up. And you know, I, um, that physical security, uh, I, I um, uh, knew uh, a couple of uh, incidents and I'm sure there, there are more all over where, you know, a lot of accounts payable teams were using desktops and so, mm -hmm. That abrupt move um, to home required, you know, that they now get uh, laptops, and so that physical security definitely would have been um, priority. As you know, now mm -hmm. you've got a new, uh, you know, new asset that that needs to be secure. Right. Yeah, and in the area, and AP may not have to specifically deal with that, but some considerations yeah. of of if a company has to be HIPAA compliant, you know, maybe some private information, personal information is visible to AP people. Um, when you're at home, who can visually see your screen? Because that may be in violation of, of some HIPAA laws if they have personal information on, uh, on, on their screen and somebody can see it. If you're sitting in a coffee shop, that may be a violation of, of HIPAA laws. And so this new situation we're in is just different and it requires a different set of rules, a different set of training, and we're, we're all just trying to be as safe and secure as possible. Okay. Well, that was absolutely great. And um, I know that, you know, you're busy with your studies, mm. but you fin <laughs> do you finish your um, PhD? I, you I expect to finish it this year. It's January 2021, and I expect to get my PhD in December 2021. So that's the goal. So I just recently had two papers published. Uh, it was the uh, I mentioned the anti-phishing working group. They have a yearly yeah. conference, the e-crime, where they focus on electronic crime. And so I had two papers published there and presented in nice. November. That was supposed to be in Boston, so it was all virtual. But those will be videos of those will be coming out. So I have two. Yeah, yay! That was fun. All the right, academic so papers. So yeah. So if the listeners want to connect with you or maybe, you know, find out where they can view those papers, where would they go? Sure. Right now, uh, I don't have them online, but my personal website is jeffreysimpson.me, and that's Jeffrey with a G. Uh, and then I have Spiked May Software and also Breach Management, Breach.Management, which is a cybersecurity focused uh, company. So any of those places, I'm I'm on uh, Facebook and LinkedIn, so that's probably the best place to find me. So thanks, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the 117th episode of the Putting the AP in Happy podcast, where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Don't forget to check the show notes for the links mentioned in the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and writing a review of my podcast on the platform that you use to listen. Stay happy.